Hello and welcome to Interfilm Recommends, a regular podcast for film club leaders to explore exciting new titles with their clubs. My name is Michael and for today's secondary theme podcast I'm joined by Joe. Hello. In which we'll be discussing two films, The Edge of Seventeen and A Monster Calls. So The Edge of Seventeen is a 15 certificate, we have it at 14+. plus. Uh, and it sees Nadine, a high schooler whose world is turned upside down when Krista, her only real friend, begins to date Nadine's older brother, Darian. Okay, so Joe, what does The Edge of Seventeen do in order to make it feel fresh and contemporary? It's a film that's made in the spirit of the kind of 1980s films of John Hughes, so films like Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Sixteen Candles, but it has a very modern kind of 21st century outlet on it. The, the teen genre as well. So social media is a big element of the film as well, social media bullying, which is a huge issue we know for young people across the board. Yeah, uh, mental health is another thing that is explored. Yes, it does deal with some quite sensitive issues around mental health. We should flag that up. There mm-hmm. are kind of some quite extreme situations that Nadine finds herself considering, but it doesn't talk down to young people either, I think, which is what really helps it. It has a real youth voice to it, I think, this film. It doesn't feel too prescriptive or dictated by adults. It feels like a a young person's outlook on the modern world. So in terms of how the film treats its characters, Mm. how do you think it ensures that the audience feels empathy with not only Nadine, despite her sometimes unpleasant behaviour, but also affords the other characters time time to develop? Yeah, well, if you look at teen movies historically they always kind of start off often very deliberately with kind of setting the scene by highlighting the stereotypes that are going to be in their films so you've got the jocks and the nerds etc etc and that's kind of been a traditional staple of teen films going back way you know decades here they do start off in a similar way but the characters are all treated with a great deal more complexity and compassion indeed and it contrasts with those stereotypes and it puts forward other people's points of view and sees issues that they are having themselves you know Nadine is a hugely flawed character herself we always like her but we don't we certainly don't always agree with the actions that she takes Mm. feeling of empathy as well you know you can she gets herself in some excruciating situations yeah kind of see how she found herself there actually yeah I mean the whole film is her progressively spiralling more and more to control, really, isn't it? And so yeah. we understand that the choices that she makes are not really her choices, in a sense. Yes, absolutely. And this is all kind of centred around what is a fantastic performance, I think, by Heidi Steinfeld, mm-hmm. um, who plays Nadine. You might have seen her in um, True Grit a few years ago, and she's kind of been on the cusp of stardom for a while now, and I think this is the film that's really going to cement that for her. But um, other characters in the film, people like Erwin, who's a friend mm, she uh, yes. meets, um, her, her mother, um, her brother Darian as well, uh, mm. her friend Krista, all of these are played in a way that we're not really expecting. No, absolutely. And there's also Woody Harrelson um, as her teacher, who becomes you know a kind of guiding force for her and kind of a voice, a voice of wisdom in some ways, but... It's done in a very droll and fresh way. He has his own issues that he is dealing with and they have a very interesting relationship throughout the film. Uh, So moving on, um, what other teen films, we've mentioned some already, but what Mm. does this remind you of? And certainly what would you recommend watching next if The Edge of Seventeen does feel like something fresh and something that viewers really enjoy? You need to go back to some of the 
staples of the genre, so films like Clueless or Mean Girls or Easy A, you know, all films like The Edge of Seventeen that have a kind of fantastic complex female protagonist mm, at their centre. Kind of a wicked streak in the at the centre of them. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, kind of a very delicious sense of humour, I think, runs through all mm. of them. Juno is another one. And then obviously, as we've touched upon, Edge of Seventeen deals with some quite complicated issues. So you could then turn to a film like Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, which is a slightly more independent American film from a couple of years ago. The Perch of Being a Warflower would be another film I'd recommend for yeah, that. Another film I love. So yes, any others that you would recommend? I mean, something like Mary and Max even mm. works, which again, is this lovely uh, claymation exploration of two people trying to find a connection and trying to find their own voice and identity. And that does deal with a lot of quite serious mental health, again, issues, but it's done in such a such a beautiful way that it does link to The Edge of Seventeen quite nicely, actually. Yeah. And another film on the same sort of line is A Silent Voice, which is an anime that um, came out in cinemas a couple of months ago um, and uh, deals with the bullying, the classroom bullying aspect, which, again, The Edge of Seventeen touches upon. Fantastic. Okay, so now let's move on to our second film of the episode, A Monster Calls. How does the story begin? It begins with you. A Monster Calls is a 12 certificate. We have it at 11 plus on the catalogue and it sees a boy struggling to cope with his mother's illness visited by a fantastical monster. So Joe, the film very much tackles a serious subject, mm. although it's not solely about illness. Um, what other themes and issues does the film explore and how does it do it so well? Yeah, well, the first thing to say is that the film does deal with serious illness and the effect that it can have on young people and their families. Um, but it does this with a real sensitivity. Um, and it's a bit like The Edge of Seventeen in a funny way, and it never patronises its young protagonist. I think there's quite a few parallels between the two films, which perhaps you'll get into. Yeah, definitely. I think it's very much about a boy in a transitionary phase of his life. Um, somebody who's been forced to grow up before he's ready, perhaps, in many mm. ways. I mean, it's coming of age repackaged almost, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. And there's a you know recurring phrase throughout the film that I think Liam Neeson's character uses towards him, where he's, you know, he's not quite a boy, but not yet a man. And I think that kind of encapsulates where Connor is in his life. And, mm. you know, he's somebody who's struggling to find his place in the world. But it's also about bullying. Connor is subject to some quite severe bullying at school, unfortunately. Um, and it's about dealing with anger and emotional rage. But on a more positive aspect, I think it's also about the impact of storytelling. And, and it challenges what we think of as storytelling. Yeah, so, very cleverly. Absolutely. So throughout the film, um, as the monster visits Connor, he, he tells him three allegorical stories. So many of the stories that the monster tells Connor start off quite traditionally, like fairy tales, uh, but then they go somewhere unexpected. You know, when Connor challenges him on this, he says, well, many things that are true feel like a cheat, which, again, I think is one of the themes of the film. It's about Connor learning that the world isn't black and white and that there are grey areas. And that's a theme that is really explored very richly throughout, I think. A Monster Calls is adapted from an illustrated book. Mm. Uh, how does the film remain faithful to the source and also bring something new to the story? Well, I'd really recommend the book. It's a really fantastic read. And the illustrations in it are strikingly similar to the visuals that we see on the, on screen. Uh, that's when the monster's retelling and retelling these stories, these folk and fairy tales. Yes. And they are brilliantly 
um, animated. Yes, so there's a kind of watercolor style. I don't know how I don't know how you would describe it, but it's a very kind of flowing style to this animation, I guess. It's a bit like Tales of the Night or something like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And Michel Ocelot films, or mm. if you remember that moment in the, I think the final or the penultimate Harry Potter film where we learn about the three oh, yes. wizards. Yes. So those sort mm. of silhouettes and the way they move um, is something that probably influenced the monster calls. Yes, absolutely. Or even a film like Persepolis, for example, um, which is another book adapted from um, a graphic novel in this case. I think like that film, you have a sense that you're being told a story on screen. And by that, I mean that watching the film and particularly these stories it feels like you're turning the pages of a book mm. um, and the narrative comes out in that way. But in the best way. Absolutely, yes, yes, indeed. And the film also picks up on the power of creativity itself. So one of the things that Connor um, is drawn to to deal with the various issues in his life is drawing. Um, and we see a lot of sequences of him drawing and they, without giving anything away, they come to play an important role later on in the film yeah Um, and i think that's something that the film is able to explore in a really rich detail we've actually got a clip of the film's director j.a bayona talking to one of our young reporters about the original novel and other influences on the film because there's a giant creature we deal with a lot of destruction i remember talking to guillermo del toro uh, about the godzilla movies and uh, I remember that he told me once that all the Godzilla movies are about destruction and the will to destroy. So when I read Patrick Ness' book, I was thinking about how somehow destruction and construction is a, it's a very important uh, idea in, in this story. And we didn't destroy that much because most of the destruction was CGI, but we definitely uh, play with it during the shooting. So Joe, which films have influenced A Monster Calls and which other films explore similar issues in such a way? Well, the director um, came from a horror background, and I think you can see that in the film. If For older audiences, they may remember um, a Spanish-language horror film called The Orphanage, which he also directed. I think that style really comes across. Um, or Pan's Labyrinth, which is directed by Guillermo del Toro, um, I believe he mentioned. Um, also, monster movies, so Godzilla. Um, but also, there's an important sequence in the film where... Um, Connor and his mum sit down to watch King Kong and I think the significance of that is it's showing how you know the complexity of monsters and that we don't always see them as the three-dimensional beings that they are and Mm. and something like King Kong deals with that you know in a very compassionate way which I think influences a monster cause there's also a Spielbergian aspect to it so you know it's about young boys finding their place in the world so something like E.T. or later on A.I. But also films about moving on. So, you know, go to Pixar, so something like Up or Toy Story 3, um, I think has a big influence on it. As well as, you know, Studio Ghibli titles like When Marnie Was There and um, and The Tale of Princess Cadilla as well. Mm. And the one that you mentioned earlier for The Edge of 17, so mm. uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl is probably the, yes. the ultimate title that crosses over both of the films uh, we've talked about today. Yes, absolutely. Um, we, we've touched upon how they are strangely linked these two you know seemingly very different films one set in you know the rural north of england and one set you know in an american high school but yes you're right they deal with um very similar issues and i think and there's a lot of crossover between both titles so 
that's everything for today on A Monster Calls and The Edge of 17. Thank you very much for listening. And do check out all of our previous podcast episodes on SoundCloud, all of which are accompanied by show notes linking to film guides, film lists, blogs and video content. A Monster Calls and The Edge of 17 are both available to order now from the Interfilm website. If you're also interested in primary content, we have a new podcast available looking at the documentary The Eagle Huntress. We'll be back with a new episode in a few weeks' time, though, so tune in then. But meantime, it's goodbye from Michael and it's goodbye from me. Bye.